My dear brothers and sisters, I pray for your faith that I may have the same and that my Heavenly Father will bless me as I have this opportunity to speak today. Last November, I stood on a very old bridge which spans the River Somme as it makes its steady but unhurried way through the heartland of France. Suddenly there came to my mind the truth that 52 years had come, then gone. Since that time when the Armistice of 1918 was formally signed. I tried to imagine the scene 52 years ago. I thought to myself in question, I wonder how many soldiers have crossed over this same bridge. Some came back. But for others, the River Somme was truly a river of no return. For the terrible battles of Vimy Ridge, Armentiers, New Chapelle, took a hideous toll of human life. Acres of neat white crosses serve as an unforgettable reminder that in Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly scarce heard amid the sound of guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunsets glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. I thought to myself, isn't it strange that war brings forth the savagery of conflict and yet at the same time occasionally inspires brave deeds of courage, some motivated and prompted by love? As a boy, I remember reading with interest the account of the Lost Battalion of World War I. You remember the account. It was in the Meuse Argonne Offensive when a major led his battalion of the 77th Infantry Division through a gap in the enemy lines. But his supporting forces could not keep pace, and eventually the battalion was completely surrounded. Food and water became scarce. Casualties could not be evacuated. Hurled back were thrusts from the enemy. Ignored were ultimatums for surrender. Why journalists pounded their typewriters, and paid tribute to the tenacity of the men of the Lost Battalion. But leaders of vision pondered their fate. After a period of brief but total isolation, supporting units of the 77th came to the rescue of the Lost Battalion. The war correspondents wrote that the men who participated in that rescue seemed to be bent on a crusade of love in an effort to rescue their comrades in arms. Men volunteered more readily, they served more gallantly, they died more bravely. A fitting tribute echoes from that ageless sermon delivered on the Mount of Olives by the Prince of Peace. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Forgotten today is the lost battalion of yesterday, 
unremembered is the terrible price paid for its rescue. But let us turn from the past and consider for a few moments this morning the present. I ask a question. I wonder if there are not lost battalions even today. And if so, what is our personal responsibility to help rescue them? Oh, their members may not wear clothing of khaki brown, nor march to the sound of drums, but they feel the same despair, and they know the same doubt, and they experience the same disillusionment that isolation always brings. I think, for example, of the lost battalion of the handicapped, the lame, the speechless, the sightless. There are many, my brothers and sisters, who wander in that trackless desert of darkness called blindness. You and I have felt the frustration of wanting but not knowing how to help the individual who walks so stiffly behind his seeing-eye canine companion, or the elderly person who makes his measured way by the tap, tap, tap of the white cane. If we want to really see a rescue of a lost battalion, all we need to do is go to our community's center for the blind and there note the selfless service of those who read to those who can't. See the skills being taught. Note the great effort put forth to help the blind to secure meaningful employment. Those who give so willingly and share so generously with those who have lost so tragically find ample reward in the light which they bring into the lives of others. Can we, for example, appreciate the joy that comes into the heart of the blind person as his nimble fingers race swiftly across the pages of the Braille edition of the New Testament? Those fingers pause when they come to the 46th chapter of John as the reader contemplates the depth of meaning in the promise of the Master, I am come a light unto the world, that whosoever believeth in me shall not abide in darkness. There are yet other lost battalions. I think of the lost battalion of the aged, the sick, the poor. When health declines, when youth departs, when vigor wanes and the light of hope flickers ever so dimly, these wonderful people can be succored and sustained by the hand that helps and the heart that knows true compassion. In Brooklyn, New York, there presides in the branch of the church there a wonderful young man. I saw him as a boy 13 lead his deacon's quorum in the rescue of just such a lost battalion. Frank and the boys of that deacon's quorum lived in a neighborhood where there were many elderly people here in Salt Lake City. Most of them were of limited means. Some of them were poverty-stricken. Frank and the boys had saved all year for a glorious Christmas party, and they had quite a treasury. They were thinking of themselves. 
And then the Christmas spirit came and prompted them to think of others. Frank said to his associates, What would you think, boys, if we didn't have our Christmas party, but if we took the money which we have accumulated and purchased a Christmas dinner for the three widows who live on Southwest Temple? Why, in the spirit of high adventure, those boys took their treasury, purchased a giant roasting chicken, cranberries, potatoes, vegetables, and all of the things which comprise the traditional Christmas feast, and off they went to the widow's home. Through the snow and up the path to the old tumble-down porch they came. I can still see the porch in my memory. There was a knock at the door, the sound of slowly approaching feet, and then they met. In the unmelodic tone, characteristic of boys' voices, 13 years of age, that deacon's quorum sang, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. They then presented to the widows their treasure. I think that angels on that night of long ago sang no more beautifully, nor did wise men present gifts of greater meaning. I looked into the faces of those wonderful women, and I thought to myself, somebody's mother. I looked on the countenances of those noble boys, and I thought, somebody's son. And it was only natural that there would pass through my mind the words of that immortal poem by Mary Dow Bryan, somebody's mother. She wrote, The woman was old and ragged and gray and bent with the chill of the winter's day. The street was wet from a recent snow and the woman's feet were aged and slow. She stood at the crossing and waited long, alone, uncared for, amid the throng of human beings who passed her by, nor heeded the glance of her anxious eye. Down the street with laughter and shout, glad in the freedom of school let out, came the boys, like a flock of sheep, hailing the snow piled high and deep. One of them paused beside her and whispered low, I'll help you cross if you care to go. She's somebody's mother, boys, you know, for all that she's old and poor and slow. But I hope some fellow will lend a hand to help my mother, you understand, if ever she is old and poor and gray and her own dear boy is far away. And somebody's mother bowed low her head. In her home that night, the prayer she said, God be kind to the noble boy who is somebody's son and pride and joy. What was the message of the Master? Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, ye have done it unto me. I think of another lost battalion, a battalion which is comprised of fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, who have let thoughtless pride, careless comment, 
separate themselves one from another. An account of how such a tragedy was narrowly averted occurred in the life of a boy whom I've chosen to call Jack. Like so many boys and like so many fathers, Jack and his dad had many serious quarrels. They just seemed not to be able to get along. And then one day when Jack turned 17, he and his dad had a particularly violent disagreement. Jack turned to his father and in white-hot anger said, This is the straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm leaving home and I shall never return. He went to his room and packed a bag. And as he came down the stairway, there was mother. She pleaded with him to remain and to reconsider. But he left his mother standing in tears at the doorway. As he went out the front door, he slammed it behind him. But then he heard the words of his father calling to him. Jack, said the father, I want you to know that a large share of the blame for my leaving, your leaving, rests with me. I want you to know that if you should ever desire to return, your home is open to you, and I shall attempt to be a better father. And Jack, will you ever remember I truly love you? Jack didn't even give his father the courtesy of a reply. He turned on his heel, went down to the bus station, and bought a ticket to a distant point. But as that bus rolled along the highway, Jack began to think of his father. He thought to himself, how much courage, how much love, how much maturity had been required of my dad to admit that he was wrong. Why, he even apologized. He invited me back. And he left ringing on the summer air those words, Remember, Jack, I'll always love you. It was then that Jack knew the next move was up to him. If he were ever to have a quiet conscience, he had to demonstrate the same maturity and the same love and the same wisdom as did his father. At the next town, he got off the bus, bought a return ticket, and came home. He arrived at the old house well after midnight, carefully opened the front door, turned on the light. There in the living room, seated in the old rocking chair, was his father, his head buried in his hands. He looked up and saw Jack and stood. They then rushed into one another's arms. Why, Jack was often heard to say in later years, those last years at home were among the happiest of my life. We could say, here was a boy who overnight became a man. Here was a father who suppressed passion and bridled pride and thus prevented his son from becoming one of that vast lost battalion resulting from fractured families and broken homes. Love was the binding band. Love was the healing balm. Love, so often felt, so seldom expressed. There seems to thunder from Mount Sinai that injunction, Honor thy father and thy mother. And from the same God in this dispensation, Live together in love. 
Oh, I suppose we could name other lost battalions. I think that there are many who struggle in the jungles of sin. There are others who wander in the wilderness of ignorance. In reality, each one of us could well have been numbered among the vast lost battalion of mankind, a battalion which would have been doomed to everlasting death. For by man came death, as in Adam all die. No one escapes. Death is a visitor to each one of us. And were we to remain unrescued, lost would be paradise sought, lost would be family loved, lost would be friends remembered. When we realize this, we share the joy that accompanied the announcement of the birth in Bethlehem of a Savior and those glorious words, A virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Why, just as the waters of the river Psalm witnessed the rescue of the lost battalion in World War I, so the waters of another river, even the River Jordan, witnessed the commencement of the formal ministry of a universal rescuer, a divine redeemer, even the Lord Jesus Christ. On this, the occasion of his baptism, there came from heaven a voice saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Today, only ruins remain of Capernaum, that city by the lakeside, which was the heart of the Savior's Galilean ministry. It was here that he preached in the synagogue, taught by the seaside, healed in the homes. On one occasion, the Lord took a text from Isaiah. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for I have been anointed to proclaim good tidings unto the meek. I have been sent up and sent forth to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty unto the captive, and the opening of the prison doors to them that are bound. Clearly, a wonderful pronouncement of a divine plan to rescue the lost battalion of mankind. But Jesus' preaching in Galilee had been merely prelude. The Son of Man always had a dread rendezvous to keep, on a hill called Golgotha. Arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane following the Last Supper, deserted by his disciples, spat upon, betrayed, tortured, Jesus struggled under the weight of his great cross toward Calvary's hill. He progressed from triumph to betrayal to torture to death on the cross. In the words of the hymn, the scene was changed, the morn was cold and chill as the shadow of a cross appeared upon a lonely hill. Do we realize, my brothers and sisters, that for you and for me, our Heavenly Father gave His Son. For you and for me, that Son gave His life. He could have withdrawn from His great mission, but he did not. 
He passed below all things that he might rise above all things and save all things, the human race, the earth, and all the life that ever inhabited it. There are no words in Christendom which mean more to me than those spoken by the angel to the weeping Mary Magdalene and the other Mary as they came to care for the body of their Lord. Said the angel to them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. With these words, the lost battalion of mankind, all those who have lived and died, all those who live and who will yet die, and all yet to be born and yet to die, this vast battalion of humanity lost had just been rescued. And of this rescuer, of this divine redeemer, I declare in solemnity today that he was and is a teacher of truth, but he is more than a teacher. He is the exemplar of the perfect life, but he is more than an exemplar. He is the great physician, but he is more than a physician. He who rescued the battalion of mankind is the Son of Almighty God. He is our elder brother. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He it was who declared, I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father as his personal witness today, I bear testimony to you. He lives. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, amen.